I'm sending them in. Why is my mom addicted to Facebook? Why do all things only get worse? When will it end? It is too depressing to watch the news. Why can't we just all agree? Honest to God. Why, God? Why? Why must I watch all the misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Should we be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Will you let them get away with this forever? All right. I'm not Steve, so if you're looking for Steve, he's not here. Sorry. That's what happens. Okay, so the first thing I'd like for everybody to do is on the count of three, we're going to read this word. Okay? All right? However you read it, that's what I want to hear. Okay? One, two, three. Epic. That was about 50-50 there, I think. I, I'm not going to read it much because Amanda doesn't like the way I say it. I say Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I, I'm, I have to go with Habakkuk. I don't know why, but that's... Welcome to the beauty of a different language that we don't necessarily know. So you saw the intro. We're talking about times where in this specific instance where Habakkuk is going to make a complaint. And thinking about this yesterday, I was struck by how hard it is sometimes to tell somebody that you're in a relationship with that something is wrong. In marriage, a lot of times, people will hold on to frustration and it'll build and build and build and eventually it comes out. Sometimes that happens. In a work environment, you have a boss where you continually get frustrated with that person. And it builds and builds and builds. And eventually you quit or they move on. Because rarely do we actually solve workplace conflict. Let's just be honest, right? Um, for parents and kids, it's really funny because there's a different power dynamic there, obviously. And kids don't necessarily feel like they can express their frustrations. This morning, <laughs> Hadley had a dress on, and she was going to put leggings on underneath it, but the leggings she was going to put on were not going to match at all. And I was like, no, you can't wear those. I'm sorry, not going to happen. And so she gets really frustrated, <laughs> and I go, listen, you need to calm it down right now. And she goes, Dad, I'm having my moment. You have your moments. I can have mine too. So the frustration is going to come out. And here's the thing. The reason we get frustrated is that life is not fair. Life is not fair. But we think it should be. And how many of you have said, well, life's not fair? Maybe to your kids, to a coworker, to somebody who works for you. We all say it. But the truth is, even though that we know that that's the case, we still have a deep, deep desire for life to be fair. We have this desire. 
And if we look at this beautiful slide that I made, isn't it gorgeous? Thank you. Illustrator works wonders. Scripture points to God loving justice. And since our call as disciples is to become more like him, it makes sense that we would love justice as well. In fact, I think that loving justice is part of us being made in the image of God, or as it says up there, as part of the image of God in us. Genesis 1, or Genesis 2 says that he made us in his image. And part of that isn't just like how we look. The image part is the creator. We are creative beings because God is a creator. We're storytelling beings because God tells stories. We love justice because God loves justice. Because God loves justice, because we love justice, we will say, that's not fair. We usually don't say that's unjust because it doesn't sound as cool, but we will say that's not fair. We believe that God is the creator and full of power. That's a general belief that we have as Christians and Habakkuk held as a Hebrew in the time before Christ. And so in times of injustice, we will cry out to him. Now, I don't mean that like when the boss doesn't give us the raise that we think we deserve, that we cry out to God. Our kids don't generally, when we tell them that they can't have another bowl of ice cream, cry out to God. That's not how it normally works. But in the case of gross injustice, we'll cry out to God. And if we don't, we should. And this is exactly what we see Habakkuk do. He cries out to God. So the first four verses of the book go like this. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. And then he starts talking. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Also known as Facebook. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. I'm going to read that last one again. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Sometimes I feel like we can feel like that now. Things aren't fair. The wicked are prosper. What is going on? And here's what Habakkuk is doing. He is in the middle of lament. He sees what's wrong in the world, and he doesn't see God making any changes. I'm going to read this because I wrote it, and it looks really good. Have you ever felt like that? Everything is wrong. You just don't see God working at all. It's, it's interesting that we see this written down in this book. That Habakkuk has, has made the complaint that God is absent in the world. Must I see these evil deeds forever, he asked. Here's the thing, though. Lament is something we see throughout Scripture. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of our ability as 
followers of God to cry out to him. We're going to look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is another prophet. He prophesies way, way is a strong word, about 100, 150 years after Habakkuk. He's known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is prophesying as his people are literally being taken from their homeland and moved to another place. God God even tells him numerous times, Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. I remember the first time I read that and I was like, whoa, that's strong. That's strong. They're too far gone. They have to repent. Doesn't matter about the prayers. And this is what he says to God. He says, Oh, Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You were stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I'm mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out, violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire, like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I have heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten, if you say anything, we'll report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He'll trap himself, they say, and then we'll get our revenge on him. Jeremiah's in a dark place. David is the same. David has many psalms of lament, and We're going to look at one where Jesus actually quoted it from the cross. It says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Habakkuk, Jeremiah, David, And you are not alone when you cry out to God. When you cry out to God, that's not the moment of weakness. That's the moment of strength. Because you've realized where your strength actually comes from in that moment. Your strength doesn't come from what you can do. Your strength comes from God. And when you finally get to the point where you're like, God, I I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused. I can't take this anymore. That's when you're the strongest. But so so often in our culture... When you take that step to cry out, you're seen as being in weakness. And I'm telling you right now, that's not the case. In fact, that's the moment of strength. We know that we believe that God is all-powerful and that he will hear our prayer. In fact, we're going to look at a verse in Habakkuk, and this is kind of the, the key verse that we're looking at throughout this series. And it's a little long, so I'll try to read it well. It's Habakkuk 2. Verses 2 through 5. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answers plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry the message to others. Not just for backing, but to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness, to God. Wealth or wine is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. 
the Lord tells Habakkuk that the righteous will live by faith or by their faithfulness to God. This is a verse we see Paul use twice in the New Testament. He uses it in Galatians and Romans to describe why faith is the key. But here's the trick. Another word for righteousness is justice. I guess technically the word for righteous would be just. My apologies. So the word for righteousness also means just. So it could be that the just live according to their faithfulness of God. Remember how we talked about earlier that God loves justice and that we love justice too. That's what we strive for. Whenever we say things are unfair, we're saying it's not just. And to be just is to live by faith in God. I'm going to skip ahead of myself and say that what one of the cool pieces of this word faithfulness, we translate it as faith, belief, faithfulness, and a really cool translation of it is loyalty. So when we see faithfulness, we can also see loyalty. So the just will live by their loyalty to God. So let's look at the responses to the laments we've looked at. We know that the just will live by faith. So what does that look like? So David wraps up his psalm with elation. He, from 25 to 31, it's just about how God will be praised. And the last two verses of the psalm say this, Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. We mentioned that Jesus mentions that first verse of the psalm from the cross. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew how it ended. He knew that his death would lead to everyone worshiping him. He was aware of this psalm and how it flowed. He didn't pick that song randomly. He wasn't like, oh, let me go ahead and quote a random lyric. No, he knew what he was doing. And we see the end. David feels abandoned in the beginning, but he finishes the psalm saying that God will be praised throughout the earth. And it's his loyalty to God that allows him to know that. Jeremiah has another response right after his lament. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will, be, will never be forgotten. O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous, and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Here we see Jeremiah having faith in God, loyalty to God, that he is with him. He will continue his lament, though. So right after this, this is chapter 20, verse uh, verses 11 through 13. And the next verse, he goes on and he starts lamenting again. Again, Jeremiah had issues. Um, mainly, everything was going on around him. It was bad. But he does know that he has to continue, that his prophecy is from God, and that he will continue in that prophecy. So we've seen David have a 
positive response. We've seen Jeremiah have a positive response. But we're going to turn to Habakkuk, and it's going to change. He has a totally different response. His faith is that God will act in justice. He really believes that. The only issue is the justice that he learns that God is going to bring may not be the justice he wants. So starting in verse 5, the Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look, and be amazed. For I am doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from away, from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their wall and capture them. They sweep past the, like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. God responds when Habakkuk cries out. He says, don't worry, I know there's injustice, and I'm going to fix it. But he's going to use a nation that is wicked to judge his people. The justice coming isn't coming from a righteous group. Multiple times in Judah's history, we'll see a king who does all the right stuff, and then it kind of goes down, and then his kids don't do the right stuff. And then maybe that happens a little bit, and then we go back up. We have a couple kings that are good. I imagine Habakkuk thinks that's what's going to happen. <laughs> He's crying out, God, what's going on around me? Can you not raise another leader up to fix this? Raise someone up. You've done it before. I've seen, I've read the judges. I know the history of our people. You have continually raised up prophets, judges, and kings to correct the injustice in our land. But this time, this time it's different. He's faced with a totally different reality. Instead of it, this change coming internally, there's going to be an evil nation come and fix the problem. And frankly, it works. Once they return from exile, these problems don't exist anymore. Took a really strong action to get him to do it. But things are going to change. Spoiler alert, as we'll find out next week, Habakkuk isn't 100% okay with this. He might be 10% okay with this, and that's pushing it. Imagine, you've cried out to God, you know what the fix is, and God says, no, I'm going to fix it this way. So here's the question. Are we people of faith? We talked about it being loyalty. Are we people of loyalty? Are we loyal to the righteous, the just king who loves justice?
if you've heard me talk, I love Jesus as Savior, but I desire Jesus to be King. There's a difference. A Savior pulls you out of what you're in, and a King rules over what you have. For many of us, I say us, not meaning necessarily people here, will go larger us. Jesus has been our Savior. He's pulled us out of where we were. But he's Savior and not King. It's a dangerous place to be because when things go wrong, if your loyalty is not to the King, you're just happy that you've been saved. That's an issue. And it's not if things will go wrong. It's when things will go wrong because the world is unjust. And in those moments, are we going to say, God, I trust your justice? Or are we going to say, I don't know if you're just? I'm not sure, God, that what you, you really love is justice. If he's only our Savior, that's how we're going to feel. But if he is our king, we're going to recognize that he is a just king, that he loves justice. His entire demeanor is based on justice, on fairness. Here, Habakkuk's faith, his loyalty, his belief is challenged when God tells him his plan for dealing with the injustice. It's not what he thought it was, and he's going to complain about it some more. The righteous will live by their loyalty to God. In the tough times, and here's the thing. I think you can throw up the last one. I know that I'm asking a big question here. Because I'm asking, where does your allegiance lie? When times get tough, when the answer to prayer isn't what you thought it was, how will you respond? Oh, man. Messed up the slide. Can you tell? The last word is respond. It, just imagine it right here. Respond. Thank you. Listen, I know as the preacher, I'm supposed to answer these questions for you sometimes. I'm supposed to like give you the, and this is what you're going to do. I don't have that. Sorry. I can't give you the answer to an introspective question. And here's the thing. This is an introspective question. This is the question that you have to look deep inside yourself and say, where do my allegiances lie? It's a hard question to ask. And I think that in this question we get to ask God as well. We've seen that asking God questions, he's going to give us an answer. We can ask God, are you just? Are you really just? Do you really love justice when I see the evil around me? We know that that question is okay to ask because Habakkuk did the same thing. Now, be forewarned, you may not like the answer, but he does love justice. And our loyalty is to him.
We are righteous. We are just because of our faithfulness to God. So, are you faithful to God? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word, for this book, for this prophet who did something that few other prophets dared to do. That he reached out and asked you a tough question. God, I pray that we will not be scared to lament, to ask you the tough questions, and that we will live by faith. We will live in loyalty to you, the King. I pray that as we go from here, we will continue to think about what this means for our lives, where our allegiances lie, and to make sure, Jesus, that you're not just the Savior to get us out of here, but you're the King who rules over what we already have. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. And as always, the chair rack is over there, and if you wouldn't mind grabbing like five chairs and putting them on the chair rack, we would greatly appreciate it. Have a good week. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before, you knew it was love. And I saw it all, still I chose the cross. And you were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Now read up the shackles, my victory's yours. I told the veil for you to come close, there's no reason to stand. Anymore, you're not far from home. Now be your lighthouse when none are standing. And I will illuminate everything. No need to be frightened by intimacy. No, just throw off your fear and come running to me. Oh, cause I loved you before. You knew what was the love, and I saw it all. Still, I chose the cross, and you were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Keep on coming.